And welcome once again to Father Spitz's Universe at the very busy seasonal intersection of faith and reason here in Advent. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper on Mother Angelica Way, where it all began back in 1981. Email your questions to us. Very important. Spitzer's Universe at EWTN.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, the MagisCenter.com, CredibleCatholic.com, and PurposefulUniverse.com. And they're not repetitive. Each has a different focus, so check them out. See which works best for you. Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EWTN On Demand and YouTube channel. And while at our On Demand channel you, and our page, you can check out a really nice program we just did in England called The Passion of St. Edmund Campion. Wonderfully acted, inspirational film tells how St. Edmund enjoyed the favor of English royalty until he rejected Anglicanism, resulting in his subsequent martyrdom. And check it out for free on our on-demand page. Recommend it highly right after you watch Father Spitzer's Universe for the third time. And of course, our topic tonight <laughs> is going to be envy from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available naturally through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Speaking of that, we've got a wonderful book for the month of December, the prayer book for tired parents. Boy, around this time of year especially, <laughs> Practical Ways to Grow in Love for God and Get Your Family to Heaven by David and Debbie Cowden. And uh, check that book out as well, published proudly by EWTN. And now we turn to Father Spitzer to lead us in prayer and kickstart the program. Great to see you, Father. Absolutely great to see you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. John Thank you. Hey, even, yeah, there's so many great saints, especially this time of year, I tell you. It seems like every day one's better than, uh, than the next, and especially a lot of uh, uh, events surrounding Our Lady in the last couple of weeks, which have been wonderful, too, yes. between uh, the Immaculate Conception and Our Lady of Guadalupe. So uh, we keep those yeah. things in mind because uh, she she is our patroness here in the States. So we, you know. So, yes, she is. So she's looking after us. So speaking of some of the things going on out there besides the daily uh, Twitter dumps of uh, what all the crazy things that people said were crazy and turn out to be not so crazy. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought this was an interesting story because we, we did that wonderful series on transgenderism and, and we had that wonderful letter from that person who wrote to us about it. And here was a story uh -huh. recently and uh, having to do with transgenderism. And I, if you remember this, it was a former U.S. Navy SEAL who famously came out as transgender 10 years ago. And I remember him being featured on television several years ago has now renounced uh -huh. his transition and will soon resume living as a biological male. Okay, what a surprise. Now, nearly 10 years later, Beck yeah. has renounced his words, saying CNN used him for propaganda purposes while calling on Americans to wake up to the transgender radicalism targeting their children. Okay? And he goes on to yeah. say that uh, when he began transitioning, it took just an hour-long meeting at a Veterans Affair uh, 
office to be offered hormones. Uh, he says this is a billion dollar industry between psychologists, between surgeons, uh, between hormones, between chemicals, between follow-up treatments. He said there are thousands of gender clinics popping up all over the country and each of them, these gender clinics, is going to be pulling in probably $15 million or not and uh, or more and uh, you know obviously mm -hmm. that was, that's his opinion and his statement but but he was put forward as you know mm -hmm. here's this uh, you know Navy SEAL and he's transitioned yeah. and here he is transitioning back as, yeah. as you've spoken so many times on the program about the the studies that show this mm -hmm. is that they happen oh yeah <clears throat> not only uh, that but uh, unfortunately detransitioning if you go all the way in the transition detransitioning will not help you uh, in the least because uh, you're not going to be able to get uh, everything back as a biological male however if you didn't go all the way then you can effectively detransition so um, uh, I, I you know I, <laughs> this is going right. to be so typical you know ten years out you're going to see huge numbers of detransitioning uh, patients uh, uh, getting back, trying to get back uh, their original biological identity. And um, by the way, it's already happened so much in Great Britain, uh, as I said last week. Um, there is, you know, a huge movement now uh, to stop um, uh, this governmentally, to stop it. Uh, and, and also to stop gender-affirming therapy, uh, which takes place before um, adolescence has really uh, taken hold. So you're giving these hormone treatments actually to prevent uh, the adolescent, adolescent transitions from happening. And so they're stopping that in Great Britain as well. It's uh, really a wait-and-see mm -hmm. uh, thing, because not just because of the number of tra uh, detransitioners, but as I mentioned, that, uh, that statistic right. of a 20 times increase uh, in suicide rates, so from 1.6% uh, to about 35% of the nation um, is going to, uh, well, suffer this uh, right. terrible, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, not just suicidal contemplation, but suicides themselves. Right. So uh, it's pretty bad. So speaking in that vein, uh, here's a story that was, came out uh, last few days from LifeSite News, but indicating a federal court ruled, and this was last week, that doctors and hospitals cannot be forced to perform gender mutilating surgeries, echoing a similar recent court ruling in striking win for religious freedom. The Eighth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals upheld Catholic groups' free exercise of religion in refusing to perform or ensure so-called quote-unquote gender transition procedures, citing a prior district court ruling in the same case which found that intrusion upon the Catholic plaintiff's exercise of religion is sufficient to show irreparable harm, so at least standing up for people who stood up because of their religious beliefs. Oh, no, I think absolutely, and I'm so glad for it, and I'm so glad these physicians don't want to do it, and the hospitals don't want to do it because it is mutilation, and it's permanent mutilation. Uh, you know, if, if you do a complete sexual reassignment surgery, uh, you're not ever going to get back to your biological um, uh, uh, sex um, uh, mm -hmm. that you left behind. I mean, you just can't put the parts back. And so, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, it is a, a complete um, right. a mutilation. You can try and, uh, you know, solve some appearance issues, but that's all you can do. So, I think the Catholic hospitals were absolutely correct right. in rejecting it, and I think um, their rights being upheld uh, to observe their religion, I think that's fantastic. I thought this was an interesting story. Uh 
just having to do with the pro-life issue was a story on the web uh, because a Maryland mm -hmm. man was accused of killing a pregnant woman and gets charged for two murders because of the unborn baby. And we see this once in a while where it seems to be this incongruous yeah. idea that, you know, there's a woman with a 38-week-old unborn baby uh, who could be aborted basically without any problems, yeah. but uh, that, the, and even in a state like Maryland, which of course was our lady state at one time and a Catholic colony, uh, mm -hmm. but is incredibly liberal when mm -hmm. it comes to abortion and things these days, uh, would yeah. even mm -hmm. there they would see that as murdering two people. Yeah, I think the precedent, uh, it's been there before. I mean, this is not, uh, a, a, you know, a first-time precedent. And so we have almost a, a schizophrenia, you know, a kind of a, a you know, a dual uh, notion of when human personhood is present. And in some court cases, we have rulings that show that uh, uh, fetal persons can inherit money, can be, sub, uh, you know, issue a claim against somebody, for mm -hmm. uh, example, for a, an accident, a car accident, where there is a, a cl clearly negligence it can be shown uh, that per that fetal mm -hmm. person uh, can uh, a, a lawsuit can be initiated on behalf of that person, et cetera. So there's all kinds of precedents, and of course, why not murder? Uh, because if they're fetal personhood in terms of inheritance right. and in terms of uh, um, injury, et cetera, of course, the permanent injury of death, I think uh, that uh, should uh, deserve recognition under the law, and it shows you why Roe versus Wade was terrible to begin with. Right. And um, I think honestly. Uh, you know, we shouldn't permit abortions at all for the obvious reason that, uh, you know, that 67% of biologists in the United States and about 96% uh, uh, of biologists internationally believe that a new, unique human being occurs um, without any uh, exception at fertilization or conception. And so um, I, I just think it's clearly a case of killing an innocent person. Right. Uh, and it's a premeditated case of killing an innocent person. Which I think is murder, right. and um, I think there's no excuse for it. And I, I think the Catholic Church is right on, along with uh, our allies in the pro-life movement. Right now, all we need to do is get the Catholic uh, members of Congress and the Senate to go along with the, what the Church <laughs> is standing up for. Here's another uh, interesting uh, take on something. I was wondering if you were familiar with it or what you thought of it. You know, we've gone through that uh, vote on the Respect uh, for Marriage Act. We just had that. Yeah. at the White House celebrating this, yeah. Uh, yeah. so to speak, with Joe yeah. Biden, uh, who used to be uh, against this kind of thing. But uh, the thing mm -hmm. that was pointed out, at least by some attorneys, is that the Respect for, Li for Marriage Act sets the stage possibly for a challenge in the Supreme Court of Ogerfeld versus Hodges, that that decision, which is tenuous at best, that this may, in fact, this particular decision may actually be able to be challenged and will actually put that uh, to the test. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. There might be a, you know, a minor oh, yeah. upside, I uh, I have... upside to this. So. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. No, I have yeah. to actually look at that article. And, uh, uh, yeah, the Obergefell could, could actually be uh, reversed or at least limited. That would right. be great if, if that were to occur. But I, I haven't really studied it at all. But uh, uh, wonderful if that could happen. Yeah, so that would be interesting. <coughs> interesting take 
Uh, yeah. And maybe, you know, obviously the Napa Institute uh, Law Group or obviously mm -hmm. the Becketts would know better, but I thought it was an interesting take. Oh, yeah. Ho hopefully there's some truth to it. Two other things I wanted to touch on just before we got mm -hmm. to some people's questions. One, uh, and yeah. this is another a, a nod to you, um, in a first, a fusion experiment generated more energy than it took to start the reaction, scientists said, mm -hmm. a major research mm -hmm. breakthrough at the uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. Yeah. And you've been talking about that for a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm, right. in fact, I've been uh, predicting that it would come to pass because once you get a <clears throat> positive reaction, um, I think these were using lasers on deuterium mm -hmm. uh, so that it's not an aneutronic reaction, but it's uh, uh, definitely a, 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 you know, a very good way of producing clean power. Um, there are going to be, of course, uh, there is going to be, uh, it'll be clean power, but you've got neutrons out there, which you have to be very careful about, so it's going to take a little time to develop it. But now that the t temperature mm -hmm. is, has been uh, reached and um, the energy is, uh, level that's uh, produced is positive, and it's 20% positive, mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to have a real new source of uh, fusion power production that's coming in its wake. Like I said, there's going to have to be some uh, uh, regulatory <clears throat> activity taking mm -hmm. place because it's not a neutronic, but nevertheless, that'll take a little time, but um, once the uh, reaction, obviously it was successfully contained, mm -hmm. and obviously they think it can be sustained over the long term, um, that remains to be seen with a larger prototype uh, whether that can be done. If it can be done, mm -hmm. um, you've got a huge new source of power right. uh, that's out there. It's clean power. It does not use a lot of fuel, uh, really. The deuterium fuel and, you know, the hydrogen uh, bonding is uh, clearly something that's plentiful in our mm -hmm. universe. I think that uh, this would be something of immense, immense important, uh, importance. And even in the developing world uh, where this kind of right. technology could really pro provide a, a boon, even in a place, mm -hmm. you know, which um, has uh, very, very low technology, uh, you could produce, you know, small, limited reactors, but could be very efficient in producing electricity. So it's wonderful all okay. the way around. Very good. And one last... So uh, much for the, uh, yeah, for the fuel crisis or uh, right. the energy crisis that will take place in 20 years. Yeah, Right, exactly. right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, uh, one last uh, story. I had to pick this up because it had to do with a, a gentleman who was a graduate of Gonzaga College High School uh, in Washington, D.C. And I obviously, but because uh -huh, of your yeah. connection with Gonzaga, obviously, and as a Jesuit school, yeah. A certain gentleman named when yeah. Caleb Williams stood up to the podium to accept the Heisman Trophy, the University of Southern California quarterback gave credit to the Catholic education for showing him how to be a quote-unquote man for others. He expressed his gratitude for his yeah. time at the Jesuit-run all-boys school, Catholic school. He said the Gonzaga experience both on mm -hmm. and off the field helped to prepare me in more ways than you can imagine. After thanking his brotherhood at Gonzaga High School, Williams thanked the high school coach Randy Trivers, he said, Coach, you may not know this, but the Gonzaga mant mantra that you drilled into us, men for others, has helped inspire to me create the Caleb Cares Foundation, which is all about giving back. So thank you, Coach. Thank you, Gonzaga. I 
wanted to throw that out there as uh, oh, wow. you know as a positive uh, thing. Oh, the Jesuits taking enough it. of it yeah. on the chin sometimes. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's so, a great positive thing. Right. I'm very happy. <laughs> right. So anyway, and he won the uh, Heisman Trophy. So with that being said, yeah, we're, exactly. We're going to turn to some questions people wrote to us. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, uh -huh. why did the two disciples who met the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus initially fail to recognize him? The gospel account says they walked and talked with him for several hours without recognizing him. Will our post-resurrection appearance be so different from our appearance in this life that we may not recognize in heaven those we've loved on this earth? Can you please comment? And this is from John. Yeah, John, it's uh, pretty simple, really. Um, it's not that our appearance will be so different. Actually, when we do get to the heavenly kingdom, I, uh, you know, people say that uh, we appear uh, at least uh, looking like more or less what we look like when we're about 30. Mm. Uh, so our late 20s or 30 or so something of exactly, that nature. So you'll look exactly and, the same. That's what you're basically saying. You will look exactly the same. <laughs> and well, you, you, you'll, you, I'm going to go with the 30 is, there 70 is the new 30. So, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, but you look, uh, you look pretty good uh, as a 30 year old mm. there. But in any case, uh, in Jesus's case, of course, he's in his spiritual body already. He's in his glory body, he can appear any way he wants to appear, right? So he doesn't have to appear looking like Jesus. He could appear with the whatever, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, image, you know, he can or he might want to project mm -hmm. because he's, he's a spiritual body, a pneumaticon soma, you know, in Paul's words, St. Paul's words. So you can pretty much uh, see, he, you know, it's just like the women, you know, they, they don't, right away recognize him until, you know, Jesus uh, reveals who he is. Right. Um, and he's just not in a physical body. So Jesus is not a resuscitated uh, corpse, right? He's really a spiritual mm -hmm. body. And Paul means it. He's glorified. He's, he's, he's risen in power and glory. And he can appear any way he wants. Uh, he's not limited by any physical thing. He can pass through walls and uh, uh, he can transport himself instantly from here to there. Uh, he's uh, very much... Uh, uh, you know, um, a, a different being, but can he appear as he looked in in the time during the time of his mm -hmm. ministry? Absolutely, he can. So there's uh, no problem there, and he can manifest the wounds that are right. already incorporated into his spiritual embodiment, uh, right to his apostles. So um, that's why they don't recognize right. him because Jesus right. didn't want them to recognize him. He wanted them to recognize him in the breaking of the bread right, and exactly. by the words of hope. Right that he was giving them on the way, opening the scriptures to them. And isn't that the point to be made, really, is they, That's, they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, which indicates what? How important that is to Christ's ministry absolutely. and to our ongoing life in his spirit, right? Absolutely. The Holy Eucharist is central to everything. It is the source and summit of our Catholic faith and of our Catholic liturgy. Right. And of course, the greatest gift uh, that Jesus could give right. us is very self-crucified and risen, uh, you know, in his, embody in his risen embodiment and in his divine personhood. I mean, what greater gift could we get for transforming us, healing us, protecting us, forgiving us? I mean, it's, uh, it's the most amazing thing in the world. Right, absolutely. Next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, I firmly believe in praying before making major decisions. My sister takes things to the extreme, is constantly looking for signs and affirmations. Uh, 
you know, from God and everything she does. How does one distinguish true signs mm -hmm. from just normal flow of events? So you've got, it's good to pray, but some people are constantly looking for signs in direction. How do you balance that, I guess, right? Well, you know, I would say that looking for signs is, uh, I mean, when signs occur and you notice them, I mean, it's great to say thank you to the Lord when you mm -hmm. see uh, such things, right. you know, happening. And, um, you know, I've talked about a couple of those in my own life uh, here, but, you know, I, I wouldn't go looking for them. I, I would just let God, you know, kind of lead us. And he, he does lead us. You know, I, I call them conspiracies of divine providence. People will come into our lives and you might not notice it, you know, when they're actually there talking to you, but they say something or do mm -hmm. something which suddenly gets you thinking, right? And you start thinking, oh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I should have veered in this direction or something of that nature, or I should have uh, gone in, in this direction. And, right. and uh, you know, all of a sudden that person stimulates something and then another person comes along and then you're reading something in the newspaper mm -hmm. and then, you know, uh, uh, you, you're blocked from doing something in your life. And all these little teeny things that allow you to be free they're kind of steering you a little mm -hmm. bit. And, uh, <clears throat> and it's that, that, uh, you know, you start looking back on your life right. and you go, oh, yes, here's what uh, that uh, wonderful Lord was up to. And sometimes when he's doing them, uh, sometimes they're very positive things, but sometimes they're things we don't like at first. Right. You know, and uh, my blindness, as I've said many times, has really caused a lot of spiritual growth for me. But uh, I didn't like it at first. I was like, what, what's going on here? And so, you know, you have to get used to um, some of these things that maybe the Lord will uh, give you as crosses, mm -hmm. uh, but those crosses are very definitely part of his uh, conspiracy of providence. Uh, and um, uh, at the end of the day, he kind of steers you, but you have right. to follow. You have to kind of go with it. You have to see the good in it. But those signs can be both positive. You might think of them when they happen as both positive and negative, right. but it's the confluence and the combination of all of these signs where you, you got to look, you look right. back and you go, this can't be an accident. Right. Uh, this is just no way that this happened by sheer coincidence. Right. Uh, you know, there's the hand of providence all over the place right. here, and I see what the Holy Spirit is doing. Well, what do you find is so, a difference don't, between... You don't have to look for them, though. Right, right. Seeking signs and wonders and being open to noticing them in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the real thing. When, you, when they happen... And you finally say thank you to God because right. it's like it, it could be something that's a trial. It could be something that's a blessing. But you put it all together and you finally you look back and you go, oh, my God. gosh, you were there all along, you know, uh, very sly indeed, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, uh, and you were free and you kind of made these moves and you wind up mm -hmm. in a much better place. Uh, you might have some challenges yeah. that you didn't have before, you know, like blindness has stuck with me for a while. Maybe there's a cure. Maybe there's not. But mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, it's been a profound blessing and certainly has steered right. me in various directions. Well, uh, and uh, I think in many ways has protected me too uh, from my own arrogance and my own, uh, as they say, self-sufficiency. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I would, uh, I would, I think I'm not uh, speaking out of turn to speak for all of us who say regardless of your, your failings on physical side, your insights spiritually and mm -hmm. intellectually are wonderful for our audience. So I just wanted to thank say you. that. So. Thank you. Thank you very much, Doug. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, so <laughs> I will say that's quite true.
Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, my stepdaughter and her husband asked me to be the godfather to their child. They are not Catholic, so it was not a Catholic baptism. I feel now I may have made a mistake mm -hmm. by participating. What should I do, Henry? Well, Henry, I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure what, uh, so long as you weren't co-opted into their religion by being, uh, you know, uh, agreeing to be a godparent, basically what you're doing as a godparent is you say, look, I'm going to make sure that this little child um, has, you know, will grow up knowing uh, the, the light of Christ, uh, and I'm going to help uh, him or her out. Uh, you know, during their life, and of course, I'm a Catholic. I would probably say to them, you know, what that means if if I wind up being the primary uh, source of mm -hmm. their faith formation, I'm going to do it the way I know how to do it, which is the Catholic way. And so long as you're okay with that, uh, I'm happy to be a, a you know a godparent. I I don't see any you know as long as you're not co-opted into another mm -hmm. religion and you're just right. agreeing to help this little child grow up uh, as a good Christian witness and as, you know, having a good Christian formation according to what you believe as a Catholic, and they don't have any objection to it, I don't think you made a mistake. I think right. it's okay. Right. And uh, baptism's a baptism if it's a Christian baptism and hopefully done in the right way. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. it sure is. We don't yeah. re-baptize re people who convert uh, from other Christian that, denominations that's correct. as a rule. Uh, next That's up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, since he was a true man, could Jesus have sinned if he chose to do so? If sin is an offense against God, would it not be possible for Jesus to choose sin? If so, what was the point of the temptation in the desert? This is Steve. Well, Steve, I mean, he could have sinned. That's the whole point of being a true man. Yeah, if you were incapable of, of uh, uh, choosing to do something sinful, uh, you would not be true man. And so um, uh, he definitely is a true man. But on the other hand, uh, would he have sinned according to his will? The answer is no, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's, his will was so perfectly formed toward his father that even though he could have chosen uh, sin, mm -hmm. uh, he would not have chosen the sin, uh, sin. And you've got the exact right story, the temptation mm -hmm. story, um, you know, in Matthew and Luke in particular, where they elucidate, you know, mm -hmm. the three temptations. And the main thing there is, of course, the devil starts off by saying. If you are the son of God, well, you know, uh, then this, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can do this and you can do that and God will let you get away with it. And so the first thing he's choosing to, to do is confront Jesus on his divine personhood, right? He wants him mm -hmm. to misuse it and go against his father's will and be an autonomous agent. And um, uh, Jesus, of course, uh, says no. So uh, you are correct. Uh, he mm -hmm. could have, uh, you know, could have, according to his human nature, chosen that. But according to his free will, he did not and would not have, you know, gone against his father's will. Mm -hmm. But could he have theoretically? Yes, he could have theoretically because right. he had human free agency and power to do it. Right. Okay. We got a couple of minutes right before the break. Uh, here's one question. Dear Father Spitzer, I was abused as a child and had a very bad life growing up. I have a very hard time trusting God as 
looking out for my welfare? How do I believe that God will bring something good out of all the evil that has occurred in my life, Lisa? Well, Lisa, um, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, there's, it, it, that's a really, I'm sorry that you have gone through this, and it's going to have residual effects. Uh, you, you're not going to overcome it perfectly because, you know, somebody has taken advantage of you, abused your trust, and, you know, and there's always kind of that echo effect. But the point is, is number one, um, I know this is difficult, but if you forgive the violator for um, the, you know, the abuse that was perpetrated upon you and you give it to God and bring it into God's hands and not let it, uh, you know, try not to let it, you, mm -hmm. you, uh, you know, affect you further. To, you know, I, I use this little prayer, you know, I give up, Lord, you're the just judge. Mm -hmm. You take care of it. And just give it to God, you know, that abuse thing. Just say, Lord, you're the just judge. You take care of this. You take care of that person that did this to me. I don't want to remember it anymore. Because the more you can forgive and the more you can let go a little bit, right? You're not going to forget the whole thing, but you're going to forget that the you know, by stages you can forget the horrible affective impact that it has on you. And the more forgiveness you do, the more you kind of let it go, the more the memory can't, you know, keep affecting you and keep welling up and making you mm -hmm. mistrust uh, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. men or uh, authority figures or whatever it may be. And so uh, eventually you will see some improvements um, as you go through. You'll be able to trust more, but will you really be able to trust perfectly? Mm -hmm. uh, probably not till you get to heaven, to be honest with you, because letting go of these things completely is a very, very difficult thing to do. But can you make progress? And can you uh, trust people a lot more than you once did? Yes. Yes, you can. Right. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the trust issue can definitely deepen and increase. But it really, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door to forgetting. Forgetting is the key that unlocks the door uh, to the freedom to yeah. trust. Okay. So it just uh, it's, it just takes a lot of time and practice. But right. uh, and of course prayer by turning to God. You know that that's a good little prayer. Lord, you're the just judge. You take care of it. Absolutely. Just put it right into His hands when that memory comes zooming up on you. Very good. Thank you, Father. With that said, we shall take a break. Much more ahead with Father Spitzer in His universe. Stay with us. and we are still in Father's Business Universe, as you are as well. Our topic for today is envy, uh, and of course, Father's book, Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. We can all be uh, jealous of his writing skills, but we should never be envious of those. So, uh, <laughs> and the best way to not fight that envy is to get just by his book and be happy about it. So let's uh, get to another question here for you. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, for purposes of organ donation, when does the church consider a person dead, enabling a doctor to harvest organs? Is it when either the heart or the brain flatline, or 
When both do so, organ donors are often asked to sign agreements authorizing organ removal when the doctor determines the person to be quote-unquote brain dead. May a Catholic sign such an agreement? Have there not been people who flatlined on both fronts for a few moments but then revived? And this was Joseph. Well, Joseph, um, I'm, uh, the, the brain physiology here is very, very complex indeed. And there is a fellow by the name of Ta uh, Father Tad Paholchik. Right. And he's at the uh, National Catholic Bioethics Center. Um, so if you um, just uh, go to uh, uh, NCBC, I think it is, um, uh, dot org, uh, if you go there, you can actually um, look up all of the various uh, requirements that should be in place uh, for brain death. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it is Father Tad who's put together uh, the series on this. I think it is one of his specializations. It is, right. And um, I hate to do a beg off, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because the, the specifics are so complex. Right. But you might just want to read his two big articles there. And right. they have a what's called a, a National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. And if you just put in, in their little um, search uh, engine there uh, for the quarterly, just put in brain death and organ uh, donation, I think you can get uh, right. some very good resources, especially from Father uh, Tad uh, Paholchik. Right, absolutely. He's been featured many times, I know, on Raymond's show and on other programs on the network over the oh, yeah. years. So he's, he really is a wonderful resource. Yeah. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, I read an article about a woman who joined a satanic temple and how her life greatly improved. She uh, wonderful. <laughs> I wonder what magazine that was in. Uh, she was quoted as saying, I had never yeah. met such genuine, non-judgmental people in my life. Satanism truly has made me a better person, a better friend, a better parent, a much better contributing member of society. The person goes on to say, I have to believe she is either deluded or flat out lying. Can Satan trick someone into believing they are a better person because of him? Carl. No, she's flat out lying, Carl. I mean, uh, that's the devil's calling card is lie, 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 deception. And I'm telling you uh, right now, there's just absolutely no way. I mean, how are you going to explain? Uh, you go to one of these ceremonies and you, you're going to take, uh, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, you know, a, a human child or something, or give up a, uh, you know, a human child in abortion so that you can have a little satanic feast and you feel like you're, uh, you know, I'm sure they're non-judgmental about it, uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean they're doing anything good. It's, it's you know, pure evil. And how is it that you have a, a whole, you know, enterprise that's based on cursing people? How is it that you have a whole enterprise that's based on getting all kinds of knowledge that are beyond your bounds in order to do harms to people who, you know, or somehow are uh, resisting you and how is it that you claim that you're going to serve a person whose uh, his objective is to reject Christ's teaching which is all about unconditional love how, you know obviously the statements that are made here uh, are one gigantic excellently crafted lie from the master that she serves who is the prince of lies. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't believe at all that she's a better person. I can assure you if she's cursing people, mm -hmm. if she's participating in ceremonies that have, you know, obviously abortion at the center of them, if she's basically using knowledge, uh, that special knowledge that she's acquired, um, you know, from uh, devious schemes in order 
order to to uh, uh, punish people or resist people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. White magic, black magic. Don't believe the distinction. This mm -hmm. is all big, huge deception. Stay away from Satan. Mm -hmm. He has one objective to pull you into hell, to pull you into darkness, to pull you into hatred, to pull you into ignorance, to pull you into selfishness and egocentricity and narcissism, to pull you into sensuality, to pull you into isolation from God, and at the end, to pull you into despair. Are you kidding me? This is this is not better personhood. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's a lie, and I'm I, you know got, I lost it a little bit here. But you, yeah, don't don't believe it for a second. Right. Know who you're dealing with, the Prince of Lies himself, and she's a a real cousin there, uh, well, you know, that, uh, cozying right, right up to him. Right, and that's the kind of story. I hate to say it, with some of the other things we've talked about earlier. Let's see where she is a couple of years from now you know, down the road after, oh, you yeah. know, the, the, so many of these people. And do you think that yeah. is the great attraction this perception of power, that I'm going to gain special yes. knowledge and enhance power? Oh, yeah. No, it's not just the special knowledge, yeah. uh, but it's the power to curse. It's the power mm -hmm. to do all these things uh, to people. But, of course, you know, you don't have to fear these people. Uh, you don't have to fear their curses. Uh, God is there to protect you from it. You have the sacraments, the Holy Eucharist and the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Uh, that's your two greatest defenses mm -hmm. uh, against anything demonic. Uh, you know, uh, coming your way. Can right. can the evil spirit come to you and and you know uh, you know pressure you and fill you with a sense of emptiness or something? Sure, he mm -hmm. can. I mean, he goes after me. Uh, why wouldn't he go after you? Right. You know. But the point is, uh, my one sentence prayer: in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone, Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ, be gone, Satan. Mm. That's what you need. You right. repeat that a few times, and he's going bye-bye. Because, you know, if he doesn't have something on you, if he doesn't have, you know, an ability to, to, to lever something uh, on you, whether it be something, you know, like according to the deadly sins, some pride, some narcissism, mm -hmm. some lust, some greed. If he doesn't have you already, you know, pulling the chain, you know, just use that little prayer, uh, you know, that little command. Um, you know, uh, in in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone, Satan. That command is right. good enough. I'm telling you, it works wonders. Right. So, uh, because the name of Jesus Christ really is powerful, and His Holy Spirit right. does work through it, and the Holy Spirit is always more powerful than the evil spirit, even though, of course, He will tell you, nay, nay, because uh, He's a liar. Right. And so, the Holy Spirit is the truth teller. Believe Him, follow Him. There's no harm that will come right. to you. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, uh, you know, all these protestations that you're going to be a better person hmm. uh, going down that dark alley is, uh, uh, that, that, that's the biggest uh, lie of all. Anyway. Right. You know, Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, As they, I say, I said my piece. <laughs> right. And those spirits don't like Our Lady very much either, so she can come in handy as well. No, as well. they right. don't. Right. She is, uh, oh yes, absolutely. Right. So one last question before we get to the book. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, my elderly mother lives with us. Although we have voiced objections, she stays in contact with a relative who supports her daughter's witchcraft. Although this relative has not been in our home, I feel like this is an open invitation for evil spirits, and I am not sure how to handle it. Leanne. 
Well, Leanne is um, is your elderly um, parent is or a uh, relative. Is she somehow? Um, it's not just uh, you know she's supporting this person, but is she herself believing in the kinds of things? Yeah, I don't, that I don't this think I don't think there's that or doing. Yeah, I don't think the connection's that close. I think it's more tangential than that. I think it's just. You know, yeah. a mother has a friend whose I, daughter's a witch. That's basically what it is. And her her yeah, mother's yeah. friend supports her in her witchery, so to speak. So, yeah. Well, with that, I would probably say, you know, um, uh, we're just, you know, very concerned that, you know, that you not actually make any contact with the actual person who is a witch. Right. And um, so, uh, you know, just say, so long as you're not doing that, you know, I'm. Uh, and you just keep at least two arms length separation mm -hmm. from uh, from uh, you know this uh, particular person all as well right. so um, you know you can uh, stay there I don't think it should have any real effect right. on you because it's it's, too, it's it's pretty far removed right I would think so okay let's move to your book welcome uh, to Father Spitzer's universe book having to do with Christ versus Satan in our daily lives with the topic of envy. And we started talking a little bit about this at the last uh, time we got together. The idea that envy figures quite prominently in the Bible and lies at the center of two important uh, initial narratives in Genesis, both the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Cain and mm -hmm. Abel. So connect those for us. Sure. Well, you know, in the case of Adam and Eve, right, what's the serpent's uh, first line, you know, is he's trying to kind of weave his way in there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he comes and he says, uh, oh, you know, um, uh, is there any uh, tree that you're forbidden to eat from? Oh, yeah, it's that one right there in the center of the garden. Oh, oh you know, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does mm -hmm. he say? He says, oh, you know, uh, he's implying, right, that God's trying to withhold something from them. Mm -hmm. In other words, the capacity to be like a God yourself. He gave you everything, but he didn't give you that. Mm -hmm. He didn't give you equality with himself. And so, you know, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like him. You know, you'll get over that old thing of uh, him withholding that final gift from you. So already, right, mm -hmm. there's that, that uh, you know, that envy that mm -hmm. is, he's playing the card to get them, right, to, uh, uh, to respond mm -hmm. um, accordingly. And, of course, we know with Cain and Abel, it's the same thing, right, that God comes along. He says, well, you know, I, I like Abel's gift, you know, mm -hmm. Cain, uh, uh, what about you, you know? Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, Cain uh, becomes envious of, uh, you know, God's favor uh, being lavished upon Abel, right? So, so the idea is it's the envy mm -hmm. at the end of the day that causes him to do what? Kill him. So, uh, you know, in a way, um, you know, uh, uh, envy is at the center of it. And of course, you know, we look at poor Saul, mm -hmm. you know, the Saul right, has right. killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul doesn't just go, gee whiz, I'm jealous. Mm -hmm. Saul goes, you gotta die. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna have to get rid of you. Mm 
you know, and I'm going to be happy when I'm doing the getting rid of. And so the, the idea of envy just coming out and it's always in the center of things, right. um, you know, right. and, uh, trying to... to uh, yeah, I think sometimes... Basically... Uh, I think it's probably clearer in the Adam and Eve story. You kind of get that right away. In Cain and Abel, sometimes oh, it's yeah. trying to figure out that, uh, you know, that... Uh, uh, God liked one particular gift better than another because he prefers, you know, one style of gift versus another without understanding that there's a part, and you point out here about yeah. that Cain was unwilling to share the finest portion of his that's produce. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Yeah, and that's, that's why he tells, uh, you know, uh, Cain that um, he prefers Abel's gift. Right. And... Uh, even though Cain could do something about it, mm -hmm. and God tells him, you can do something about it. You can give, you know, your finer portion. Uh, but Cain decides, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to kill Abel instead. <laughs> I mean, that's what envy does. It perverts your judgment. And right. It, and like uh, you, you know, said, the judgment, just, how do you think? I mean, how could somebody think that that would ultimately solve their problem? Oh, it's you know like right. uh, you know the you know the vint the wicked vintners you know uh, uh, you know the uh, well let's kill the son right. he's the one that stands to inherit everything and you you look at that and you go uh, you don't think there's going to be gonna some happen. ramifications <laughs> right, here right, right. I mean I mean uh, what's going on in this judgment but of course they envy the son right and of course he's going to be uh, uh, inheriting everything, and so you see envy right. just, oh, it's in everything. Oh, Richard III is filled with it, and, uh, you know, Shakespeare's got envy right at the forefront of all those tragedies. As right. I said, Iago, I think, is, I, I picked him because he's, he's the most envious of right. all Shakespearean characters, right. and, uh, and uh, you know, he manages to kill a whole bunch of people in his envy. Yeah, but, well, um, with five dead uh, at the end of the day, so, it's, it's so... Yeah, right. Yeah, associated with you know, his it's horribly sin, right. destructive. Right. Yeah. So you say here, yeah, really an envious is. person, that kind of dovetails into what we were talking about before, an envious person would do uh, precisely what you list here. For a biblical author's success, envy is not logical, right? Practical, prudent, or satisfied yeah. with more equality. Just envy's resentment and hatred can only be satisfied by vengeance, malice, and destruction. And that's why Cain acts against his brother, yeah. his own best interests. Yeah. Right, is what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Oh, no, it happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, those wicked vendors, same thing, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. hey, you know, if you had a little bit of logic going on here, you'd know this is not going to make the king happy. You know, I mean, it's just uh, real simple. And the same thing with Saul, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, Saul thinks he can get away with it, mm -hmm. uh, obviously. But um, at the end of the day, when, you know, David twice lets him off the hook, you know, and finally, of course, uh, uh, Saul uh, uh, gets it uh, because he's surrounded and, and uh, even David's, uh, you know, not there to help him anymore and mm -hmm. he's, uh, he and his sons are there on the mountaintop and they, uh, they all, you know, get, as it were, the final judgment. Right. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, envy is a terrible thing and, uh -huh. and it's, it's so uh, truly hell-bent on destruction. I mean, that is literally a, you know, right. a, a, a description of envy, you know, and uh, even Iago says, uh, you know, right before he's about to perpetrate the first uh, sort of 
you know, envy murder. Mm -hmm. uh, he basically says, you know, that hell, you know, has hatched this plot, you know. He, he's, right. He's hatched it in hell, and uh, he, he knows that it, it comes from uh, uh, evil itself, but he just has to follow through on it because he just can't let the hatred go right. of that other person having something he doesn't have or some recognition that he didn't get. Right. And so um, uh, off... Uh, well, you talk... Uh, 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 there it was. Down further on page 320, you talk about wisdom literature, continues mm -hmm. the biblical reflection on the madness, addictiveness, and the curse of envy. God corrects Job by telling him that anger kills the foolish man, but envy slays the simple-minded. Yep, and uh, there it is. That's, uh, by the way, Job is part of wisdom literature. And right, right. There it is. It's uh, it's very true. And uh, um, you know, envy just goes one step f further than anything because it always <clears throat> is giving rise to hatred. It's all, and hatred is always giving rise to some form of not just resentment, mm -hmm. but some form of activity that will truly undermine or just, you know, sometimes kill, uh, you know, the person who actually was favored, as it were, by mm -hmm. God or by life or by good fortune. You know, I'm going to, I really just want to kill yeah. you and make you well. miserable, uh, you know, because you got this thing and I want you to be sunk into more misery than me. Well, and you that think means about I that, just right. got to go right. on a path of destruction. Well, it's kind of yeah. like Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, so to speak. Uh, you know that uh, the <laughs> yeah. the envy of his brothers, who uh, who looked to get yeah. to kill him initially, and then ultimately uh, sell him into slavery. But yeah. uh, that was basically because of the yeah. envy of the father's. Uh, That's right. You know, uh, the father's love and favor. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly yeah. on them. So we're going to get that dreamer. That's yeah. right. Now you say King James version quote, but you say wrath is cruel. This is from Proverbs 27. Wrath is cruel and anger yeah. is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Yeah, like you said, it's yeah, just so powerful. It's, uh, so true. You also say that Jesus yeah, does it not really is that our Lord does not specifically mention envy in the Gospels, but as we've uh, have seen in elsewhere in the book, he prohibits anger in all forms. So. He's really trying to stop you before you get started in a lot of ways, right? Absolutely. And right. sometimes, uh, you know, and envy has its own roots. Uh, it sometimes starts with anger. But if you prohibit everything that's, you know, anger leading to hatred, and that's the whole reason for the prohibition of anger is that it, it invariably leads mm -hmm. to hatred. Mm -hmm. um, uh, envy is already hatred at its inception. You know, you have been favored by life or God or whatever, uh, and, um, you know, more than me, and I want to bring you down. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's hatred already there at the beginning. Whereas with anger, at mm -hmm. least there's a chance of shutting down the anger before it turns okay. into the hatred, which becomes destruction. You really don't, with envy, you almost don't get that shutdown step. You just have to avoid it altogether. Right. And notice it as just something that is so utterly destructive, so negative, so horrible, you know, that you could, you know, the idea I could destroy right, somebody right. simply from having more than me. Uh, it is yeah, it so consumes uh, the person, wanton. you know, it just consumes them, yeah. doesn't it, right? So, and it's yeah, interesting, you say you that... You have to be miserable because right. you have more than me. Yeah. Right. Is mm -hmm. that uh, 
it, that Jesus undermines, I never thought of it this way, the motivation for envy, for no comparative advantage will be permanent, and all will enjoy the fullness of happiness. Uh, if we have faith in the promise that we can find a way out of envy and indeed a good reason for never engaging, like he says, uh, you know, uh, you can't be mm -hmm. competing for who's the best, right? Who's going to sit at my right yeah. hand? Who's going to sit at the left hand kind of a thing, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. And what Jesus wants to do is bring us into the fullness of the heavenly kingdom. So we could want for no uh, other happiness, right? There's uh, at, at the end of the day, when you're perfectly fulfilled, you're not going to be worried mm -hmm. about who did more, who got more, who is more, who, you know, has more talent, you know, who's smarter, because you know, we're all going to have mm -hmm. a completely full intellect and a full mm -hmm. affect, and uh, we're all going to, you know, be at the banquet with one another in, in a non-egocentric, uh, non-egocentrically affected love relationship, mm -hmm. which will be so uh, joy-filled that time will come uh, to a standstill. So why? Right. Why, you know, there's, there's no reason for envy, uh, except, of course, that you think that the things of this world are, as it were, eternally determinative of you. And so that's the, uh, uh, right. the main, uh, main you, problem there. Yeah. And, and jumping down to the bottom, I thought this was interesting. You say that though Jesus does not teach about the evil and dangers of envy directly, Mark indicates that Jesus knew the underlying sin of the chief priest who betrayed him for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. That's from uh, Mark. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and uh, I think envy, again, is right there at the heart. Why are they doing this? Why are they destroying an innocent man? Mm -hmm. And, of course, in their view, Jesus has is not an innocent because, uh, in a way, he is... Uh, changing the order of their religion. He's uh, giving uh, forgiveness to people who are viewed as uh, irreconcilable sinners, etc. Uh, he's doing these kinds of things which are annoying to them mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, de-stratifying, the, the overly stratified, you know, the ins and the outs, the in-group and the out-group. Um, mm, right. You know, he's trying to undo all of that and allow people into the kingdom of heaven uh, through his unconditional mercy and forgiveness. And that just really gets them. But what really gets them much more than Jesus' changes is they like him better than us. They believe hmm. him more than us. Hmm. They never ask, why do they believe him more than us? They just know one thing they got to do kill them. Mm -hmm. They got to get rid of the competition. They don't care. They're not asking why. They just want that this competitor to be brought low so that they can be again restored high. And it is Mark who clearly sees it and sees the heart of uh, the, the chief priests who are really instigating the crowd to persecute an innocent man. Okay, well said. And just in time, Father, if you'd give us your blessing on the way out the door, that'd be great. Oh, okay. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord's heart of goodness and compassion, of gentleness and of mercy, pervade your heart so that 
the sins of envy and pride and vanity do not overtake you, that the sins of darkness do not overtake you, that you will be gradually freed from your ego and freed from sensuality so that you might look upon the Lord of love in total thanksgiving and gratitude and falling in love with him, lead others along with yourself into the kingdom of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week. And don't forget, we've got Father Spitzer's books and videos available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Next week's show topic, a special one, we'll be talking about Christmas and answering your questions about Christmas. And the EWTN bookmark I got to do this weekend is The Unsolvable Problem, Little Convent in the Big City by Mother Claire Mathias, a highly enjoyable book. Check it out. And don't forget, we've got Carols by Candlelight from Knock in Ireland, Shrine Itself, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Also check out the EWTN website for all our other special Advent and Christmas programming over the next few weeks. Just go to EWTN.com and click on TV for shows and times in your area. And we appreciate you staying with us. We shall see you next time when once more we enter Father Spitzer's Universe. See you then.